You're listening to Motherhood Unstressed, the podcast that talks all about the realities of being a mom in today's world, but also gives you practical takeaways for making the ride as fun and stress-free as possible. The way we live life is an art. I'm here to remind you of the power you already have to create a truly beautiful life. Ryan Keyes is an author, speaker, relationship coach, Reiki healer, and creator of the Divine Love Academy. His work on fostering self-love and acceptance has impacted thousands to positively change the relationship they have with themselves and with everyone in their lives. His new book, Putting the Soul Back in Soulmates, is out now, and I highly recommend it. I really had fun recording this episode. Um, Ryan is so knowledgeable, and his work has impacted so many. Um, and I think whether you're a mom or not, you're going to get a lot of benefit out of this episode. I know I did. So enjoy. And if you really enjoy this episode, if it speaks to you, if it resonates with you, don't hesitate to leave me a five-star review and a positive rating. That's how these podcasts get out to more and more people and help more and more moms. Thanks. I'm glad you're here on the show, Ryan. I'm here with Ryan Keyes. He is a speaker, author, a coach, creator of the Divine Love Academy, and an intuitive healer. Um, yeah, so Ryan, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I think what you're going to bring to the show is, is a greater understanding of self-love and acceptance and, and how we can all get there. So um, why don't you start by you know, telling us a little bit about your background and how you even ended up in this field? Um, well, first and foremost, I think uh, self-love uh, started with a process of not loving myself for a long time. Um, because to, to start the path, you have to acknowledge that you didn't love yourself as much. Right. So I think that that's the biggest step that, um, that unfolding of, I wasn't able to figure it out and, um, I was just kind of drifting and what I thought was love or what I thought was how I should live my life was actually just kind of like, um, it was a haze. It wasn't really, it didn't have any depth. Um, it's like the baby pool, but you want to go like dive in and really swim, but you're just stuck mm -hmm. in like a foot of water. <laughs> so for me, um, when I was 21, I had an accident that was pretty devastating. And, you know, the whole right side of my face got crushed. I went through a near death experience, which um, put me in a different mindset and kind of put me on a different path because I had actually started a seminary school before that. Oh, wow. And um, so I'd been a year at the Southeastern College in uh, Florida. And um, it just made me have more questions. And questioning things of like my own personal relationship with myself and loving myself. So, and then it took at least five to six years of undoing all the self-destruction um, habits that i had had. And that's where I started like really doing mirror work because, you know, I had to recognize who I was literally and figuratively because <laughs> <laughs> it was like, who am I? <laughs> wow. And what is mirror work for those who don't know? Um, mirror work is a process. And for me, because I needed something quick because I have kind of like ADD and I'm dyslexic. So I needed something that's not long to read and something that's effective and fast. So I did, uh, I was like, how can I condense a process of, centering myself into 10 days hmm. because if I can make it 10 days and I see some kind of benefit, then it keeps me motivated. 
right? Absolutely. Um, and then if, cause if you deal with ADD, you're like, you know, if, if something is boring for 10 days, you won't do it anymore. So it was like, so I set it up 10 minutes a day, 10 days or a 10 day period. And it's a uh, self-reflection. It's self-intervening. It is sitting down and learning to talk to yourself in a healthy way. Not like mm. the, the schizophrenic way you see on the street, but like <laughs> in a way where you evolve your conversation. Cause intimacy actually really, well, it's the, the, the whole corny saying into me see, like it starts with mm-hmm. you seeing you. And, and even in my book um, that I wrote, there's one part in which I was saying that, you know, in order to love, you have to love yourself. But are you cho- are you going to choose to live a life or live a lie? Mm. Right? Because so many people live a lie. And they don't know what their truth is. I was just going to ask, like, do they know that they're living a lie? Do you think they really know? They only know from physical symptoms. So, cause your body is your believer, right? If you're, if you think of it, like your soul or your mind is the preacher and your body's the congregation, right? So as the congregation grows, or as the congregation is in movement, as the preacher's preaching, you know, when you're preaching a good sermon, right? They're either asleep or they're sitting on the edge of their seat and they're involved. So your body is your, is your, is your um, crowd. It is your basically congregation. And, you can see the symptoms of living a lie in your body, mm. you know, cause if you're, if this is a vehicle and you're not um, being as victorious with it as possible, you know, some people have different things that hinder them, whether it's like a disability, but if your body is not in line, like they say, you know, uh, where like I, my favorite things to say is that you are what you eat, see, say, do, and listen to. So if you aren't doing those five things correctly in the essence of your body is the only body you'll ever have, then you are living a lie. Absolutely. And I'm not talking about the occasional cheesecake, you know, like, or the cheesecake, <laughs> or the it goes deeper than that. It's deeper, right. It's not like picking up a pen from the office and feeling guilty when you get home and like, Oh my God, I stole this. No, it's not that it's on a, it resonates on a deeper, deeper level. So how do you, I mean, how do you start to unravel that and get in touch, you know, aside from doing the mirror work, which, you know, you're an awesome proponent of, um, are there other things people can do to start, start sitting with themselves and, and sitting with the uncomfortable stuff and start to love themselves and have self-compassion? Because I feel like that's hard. I mean, personally for me, like that's, that was super hard when I started getting into meditation and sitting with myself and I was just shocked at the internal dialogue I had, it was just mm-hmm. hypercritical and, and mean. And I was like, where is this coming from? I had a lot to unravel. Well, if you think about, um, if you entertain yourself like your child, right? And that, and think of life as the teacher. So first you go into understanding that you know nothing and that everything that you do know um, probably is from a series of failure. Because success, even we are, we're very um, judgmental, even on our successes. But you start looking at yourself from this childlike place, and you allow the, the things you don't know to be things that you can know. So you kind of give, you give yourself grace. And instead of being judgmental, 
you start to forgive yourself and you start to open up this, this different concept of like when you talk to yourself or when you say something to yourself, instead of saying things that are negative and sabotaging yourself, I always say, ask a question. So if you say, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. I don't, I would say, I can't believe I did that. Why do I feel like an idiot right now? Mm. And then now I have to explain it to myself. So it's just like if a child does something wrong, if you just tell them, no, they're not going to understand. So if we come from the mindset that we're a child learning from our higher self or from God or wherever you want to place it, then if we're asking the question, well, instead of, I hate myself. I'm always late or I'm so fat. I always overeat, you know, and say, well, why am I overweight and why do I overeat? Mm-hmm. So then like you would explain to the child, you know, no, you don't do that. And this is why. So they have a context to go from in the future. We have to understand we don't have any good context in ourselves. Our constitution has been written by experience, not by how we want to experience. So everything about how we want to be has been um, pretty much what's been done to us. It wasn't necessarily conscious choices. So it's unlearning a lot and then realizing you don't know anything and that everything you need to know is asking within. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) No, that's amazing. So, I mean, as part of your coaching practice, do you, do you sit with people and do you typically listen or do you say like, basically what you told me is, you know, you really need to start unlearning everything and this is how you do it. Well, um, like I tell people, because I do what, what I uh, what I call as a breakthrough session. Um, I generally talk to someone for an hour and a half first, wow. right? And then what we do in that session is, I am not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not there to listen. I'm there to provoke. I'm there to encourage them. I'm I'm there to be the football coach. And it's, you know, like four minutes left in the game and you're at the, you know, you're fourth and 10 and you've got like a little bit of time to like win. So we're trying to get to a place where we can see the goal and have some kind of relative expectation to tomorrow, not 10 days from now or to two years from now, but, and then the unlearning process that I've found generally I go with what they're afraid of right now. So for instance, I worked with somebody that was afraid of water, right? And they used an, an example of a time when they experienced a fear of water. To me, as an intuitive person, and to many others, I use like what uh, Jung would say. So water is deeper. Water means it's like a, a intrinsically a sexual issue or some kind of interrelated issue to something that's flowing throughout their whole experience. So if you're afraid of water, you're, you're afraid also of surrendering. You're also afraid, many of the people that are afraid of water have um, a lot of overly self-controlled systems. So they're, they tend to be either closed off or controlling. And this is because that they had the same kind of thing mirrored to them as they were children. Yeah. So it's just, you start to learn like different, you know, different things. Cause I've, I think I've worked with like probably over 2000 people. Wow. At least that's just this year. <laughs> Not 2017. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. 
but it's cool. You know, it's, so you begin to listen to di- different trigger words. Uh-huh. People say things daily. It's like, it's like what they say when you're in a situation with a relationship. And if the one person's not happy, you can hear it in some of the things they say. Or if you go out on a first date and the guy's like, well, I can't believe you like me because I'm this way. And the girl doesn't listen. And then she's like, oh my God, you told me what your problem right. was right in the beginning. Well, Absolutely. But you know, it's, it's, we just tend to, we wear our heart on our sleeve, even if we think we don't. And it's just the holding space and listening like you with your inner voice and, you know, sitting there and doing meditation, it'll tell you everything you want to know. Just most of it, you don't want to know. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like, it, I mean, it was really like peeling back an onion. Um, and it, I was still attracted to the process because it was the first time in my life, you know, sitting in meditation where I finally felt like I was truly listening to myself and I would come out of the meditation and I would feel like the inner child in me had just, you know, gotten a hug or something, you know, Mm -hmm. as as strange as that sounds, but that's how I felt. And so I kept going back and kept going back and, um, you know, eventually, you know, I would be able to sit with myself and nothing negative would come up, you know, just common thoughts would come and go. Um, and it was, you know, actually mostly positive, but it took honestly years of, of sifting through in a really quiet, but determined way, like all of the crud, like you said, that had kind of happened to me as a kid growing up. Um, and I, you know, I had a pretty decent childhood. I can't even really complain, but, you know, inevitably, you know, we all screw up our children and I'm dealing with that now, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, and it it was just, it was a really healing thing. So I guess that's another thing I really want to stress in this interview is, is your work with meditation and, and just based, just based on my own experience, I know for a fact in my gut, like how transformative it really can be. And I think mirror work is a form of that. Well, and then I think that we had talked about this before, but I like to to remind people of things that are practical and that have power because I think we get overly um, accustomed to a lot of um, filler, right? Everything's a filler. Everything is a distraction. So the best way is, is literally like that phrase, keep it simple, stupid, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that, um, I believe it was, was it Einstein, I think, that said, if you can't explain it to a child, then you don't know it. Hmm. I think it was Einstein. It, it was, I don't know, but I like it. That's good, right? But yeah. So I look at it like this. When it comes to meditation, I mean, I studied meditation in China, and I've gone into transcendental meditation. And there are elevated ways that you can do this, and, and it, but it all it doesn't mean anything. So the only thing that means something is what you can understand right now right? Everything in theory is great. But everybody that I talk to, I say, everything out of your mouth is a mantra. Mm. Every word you say is a mantra. And a mantra is the key to manifestation. Even like I just talked about this in my live when I was talking about why the law of attraction has no power. Um, And then everything that you think of or think on is a meditation. So even, and and here's the beautiful thing. So if you're trying to hold space and you're trying to sit in in a place and you've prepared your safe space and you're there and you hear birds or you hear a dog barking, that's okay because you're meditating on that as well. So if it's something that's naturally occurring or if perhaps you like, you know, you have a thought that comes to you about something that occurred or maybe an insecurity comes up, that's okay. That's a meditation. So you see it and you say, I see you. 
And this is what mirror work does. It helps you develop that vocalization because you need to speak it, right? So mm-hmm. um, even in the Bible, it says, everything says, <laughs> God said this, God said that. Everything is, speak it out loud, right? right? That's how you cast a spell. You say it out loud. We all know that like, if you couldn't speak a spell on Harry Potter, it didn't work, right? They would always <laughs> like put like a wizard, the, easy, the way to uh, disarm a wizard is put something over his mouth so he can't say anything. Mm. So if you don't say it, it's not going to happen good or bad. If you do say something bad, you're giving your body permission to believe it. Your congregation back to the church, your body's right. going to believe it. And it's going to be a proponent of that. And it's much harder to, to change a congregation's mind than it is the ministers. Right. Um, there's a, there's an old phrase that says it's easier to lie to someone than to convince them they've been lied to. Hmm. Right. That's apropos right now. (laughs) So, you know, and then, so if everything in your mind is a meditation, then you're meditating all day long. So it's not about finding safe space. It's not about dedicating 30 minutes. It's about spending a meditative state all day long, understanding that everything that's in your mind, filtered or unfiltered will be part of your being. And everything that comes out of your mouth is like casting a spell. It's either going to be a good one or a bad one, right? So it's either going to be something in love or something that's not in love. The opposite of love is, is not where we want to go. I mean, and, I literally just got chills from what you just said. I just want to stop right there. because I think that yeah. that's insanely important. You know, the things that we say, you, you do, you cast a spell on the people around mm-hmm. you and the energy in the room. I think... I mean, that's, that's everything. That's everything. I mean, life is relationships and how you, what you think and what you say is just crucial to the quality of your life and the life of everyone around you. And to take it a step deeper, it's not even the words that you choose. It's the, that it's the emotion that's in it. That's why if you tell a dog and you, if you yell at a dog and you're telling, correcting a dog and you say, no, you could literally yell snow, go, Joe. And if you yell it in the tone of no, it obeys because it hears the tone and it recognizes the tone as the power. So this is why it's very important when you're speaking to yourself to be very understanding and gracious and always generous with yourself. Mm. And that's why if you ask a question, instead of make a statement, asking a question puts you in a, in a, in a perplexed state because the statement lives in the logical side of your brain. The question comes from the creative side. Oh, wow. Because the question's investigative and it's more imaginative. The logic statement is automatically assuming. So it's very direct. It's very stern. It's very male mind. Right. I was just thinking that male versus feminine. Right. So the, the, the mom asks a question. Dad makes statements. Mm-hmm. Dad always is like, what are you doing that for? Are you, what are you stupid? And mom's like, <laughs> your mom's like, why are you doing that? You know, that's going to make you stupid. It's everything is so men don't question as much as women do in the sense of with their, their energy. Men, that's why men assume things. That's why we've not gotten along. I think in a lot of ways and self-love is about understanding the balance of both. So, and, you know, and that's, and that starts evolving as evidence as your body believes you. So if your body starts believing you, 
And in it's, I love this, this one quote, and it's what Gandhi said. When what you see and what you believe and how you live your life line up, that's when happiness happens. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I feel that. I mean, I feel that in my own life and, and it just makes such, it's, it just makes such sense. You know, how could that not be true? And I think that if you look at the core teachings of even uh, what uh, Jesus was saying, that all of these, I mean, the faith of a child, um, a child is always in a state of questioning, right? Always in a state of, un, of amazement, never holding on to something too long. I mean, if, how, how long does a five-year-old have a grudge? Oh, maybe 10 minutes. Right. But, uh, but a human being, an, an adult, 10 years, 20 years, there's brothers that don't yeah. talk for 30 years. Yeah. And in a child, when a child gets hurt, how long does that child nurse that wound and, and, and sit there in pain? Yeah, not long. Because a child's not living from a place of ego. And see, and the problem is, is that once we start evolving this self-love and this new um, compassion for yourself, we also have to start looking at the darker side of it is that even the egotistical side lives in the victimization. So as we start identifying those things that are wrong with us, if this is why you don't want to identify too much that's wrong with you and you want to focus on more that you are doing that's right and really pump up the right, you know, it's, um, like if your child has issues, same thing. And, and the easiest way, because being a parent, you have like already such this great insight into how to raise yourself, right? So when you're trying to get a child to advance, do you focus on the child's weaknesses? Heck no. No. What do you focus on? Anything else. <laughs> Anything else. And if a child's, and if you're trying to pick a sport for a child, you don't go put him in the sport where he sucks. Right. You find the sport he's good at, and then you, you, you support him there as long as he's interested. Yep. But yet we don't do that to ourselves. God. Right? That's so true. So when you think have the faith of a child, that means a whole lot more. I mean, even if you, even if you look at like uh, have the faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain, say this mountain, mountain, move, and it will move. Why pick the smallest seed on the planet? the least bit of faith. Mm. And then if you have the faith of a child, you don't need much faith at all because everything is only founded in being now. Right. I mean, a child literally, and that's why children are so energetic and so youthful because it takes a lot of your energy to live across multiple time times and spaces. Right. So if you're living in the past, you're also, you're living three times harder than you should Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a constant battle for me is to constantly like bring myself back to the present. And I find that when I do that, my energy goes through the roof. I'm more optimistic, Mm -hmm. you know, time expands. I mean, it's the strangest thing. Um, but it's so true. And it's like, God, that's why childhood felt so long because I was constantly in the present, you know, and now it's Mm -hmm. like the years are flying by and I'm like, what's going on? It's like, Oh, Liz, like, bring it back to now. You know, it's like Eckhart Tolle, who I love, mm-hmm. um, and the power of now and the new earth. I mean, it's all about bringing your mind back to the present and not spending so much time in the past or the future. And I, and I think 
people and like again to go back to like what the the command is for a dog to sit or stay or or to tell them no i think um the thing we have to also get uh, really um aware of is that not to allow language to be our um sole provider of how we see ourselves we get caught in so much about how we about what we say and not how we say it and even you know that's like when i i do that thing on instagram i'm like okay give me a growl right because the growl, and that's what I'm going to do when I go do the, the uh, little groups, the small groups across the country. I'm going to make everybody stand up and do a growl. Then we're going to do a butterfly hug. And that's where you hug yourself and you pat yourself on the back. But um, it's like, but if you think words without intention are meaningless, but everything you do has an intention. So there's never a word that you say that's a throwaway, right? Even if like, like imagine when your husband wants to go to a movie and you don't, and he does that thing where he's like, uh, okay, yeah, no, no, we can do that for sure. That his intention, his words are saying, I agree with you, but his intentions like, oh my God, I never get my way. Mm-hmm. But do you see? So, if we start understanding that these, all these things are, are, are working together. So emotion and English have to come together, right? So your language has to be a language of love, Mm. always living it. So you're like, you know how they say in the Bible, the living word, right? So literally your word is alive. Yes. And generally your words are alive and they're conflicted because what you're saying isn't what you're feeling. So, and again, if the preacher's on stage and he's giving you a sermon and he's yelling at the top of his lungs, spitting with a red face, and it's about love, the congregation's going to be like, what the heck? Mm. So if you're delivering a message that's not in line with what you're feeling at the time, your body's conflicted, your body's confused, and your body won't believe you. So now what happens when you have a congregation that's confused or a body that's confused it begins to overeat Mm. it begins to find things to distract it from this confusion which is you know self-destructive addictions right Right. so we fall into these addictions not because of the addiction necessarily but because we're literally looking for something to satiate this this inconsistency in ourself which is suffering yeah and then if you look at suffering and you change suffering as an experience and see suffering as a tool for salvation, it's quite different because suffering is a way to see yourself. Because if your body is suffering or if you're suffering something physically, especially your body's brought this to you to tell you something is wrong. If you've made poor decisions and your, your world is in chaos, that's your soul trying to tell your mind self, your man self, your male mind, which I like to say all of us have a male mind in some degree, your, your soul, your female soul is trying to tell that male mind, stop. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. So, and just like a child that wants attention, you're going to be bad. You're going to yell. You're going to throw something. You're going to drop that pacifier down on the floor six times to make dad pick it up. Right? <laughs> so, it, it, the repetition, the pattern, this is why we start repeating patterns. This is why we get stuck mm-hmm. because we're not addressing 
the part of us that has the problem. And all that part of us wants is just to be heard. Yes. It just wants its day in court. It wants to present its case and it wants a solution. Physical part of you, very easy to get a solution. Spiritual part, very easy to get a solution. It's the mental part that's hard to get the solution because we're, we're, we indoctrinate ourselves into things that are not our own decision. We follow other people and we look at paper. If it looks good on paper, it must be good, but it may not be good for us. Yeah. So we, we follow the lemmings and we all fall off the cliff, but that's why I always tell people don't, I, I don't have followers. I have fellow people. I have people that just sit next to me. <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah. Like, um, you're not necessarily a guru, but you do shine a light, you know, into people's yeah. darknesses. So I think there's something to be said for that too. So yeah. don't sell yourself too short. I'm an alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do, I do want to touch on your book that is out now, right? Mm-hmm. It is called... Oh, putting the soul back in soulmates. Yes, putting the soul back in soulmates. And you did mention before that you're going to be going on tour. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about the book and then tell us you know, where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. Well, the book is... Um, so I've given uh, love advice and written for some magazines and different publications over the past 20 years. And I saw that there was, even from working different online dating sites, that there was a severe lack in substance Um, and I decided I was going to write this book when I was talking to a friend of mine about Tinder and he was saying, he goes, you know what? He goes, I swipe everybody right. And when somebody (laughs) gets a match, I mail them, email them. (laughs) He goes, cause I swipe a hundred people, right. And I might get one match. So my odds Mm -hmm. are a lot better. I was, and I said, everybody, he goes, everybody. Oh, so I was like, well, okay. So that's like the shotgun effect. So I was like, so if you're using (laughs) it. So is putting the shotgun back in soulmates is not what I wanted to do. So I wanted to, so, you know, we talked and I said, I go, so let's talk about some things that can help you and give you insight. And number one is, is that we as men are told just like women are told, like with Snow White and all this sleeping beauty and, and the notebook that you're going to get hugged in the rain at the end of the movie and that you guys are going to crawl on the same bed and die at the same time. So we're told all these things and subconsciously they look really sweet. And I love them, but the world's more like Life is Beautiful with Roberto mm. Benigni when he dances off the screen. And it's, it's like my favorite movie. Things, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what life is more like. Yeah. And the book is about helping people to see soul in themselves and to understand that Mr. or Mrs. Right is really you getting right. So your opportunity to find the right person opens up a lot more when you're trying to be the right person. My favorite quote is be the person that you needed when you needed them. Yeah. So it applies to love too. So I used all those things that I did for 20 years with helping people with love. So I put it all in the book and then, but the book is actually really good whether you're in a relationship or not. So it's designed to help people with dating. So there's a lot of dedicated chapters to like the dating process and to bringing the traditional back into technology, like Mm -hmm. actually talking on the phone you know, like real, real time. time. (laughs) We're in an weird, right? (laughs) You don't just send the emoji. You actually say it or you feel it. Right. right? Yes. Well, people wonder why they can get ghosted. It's because you can get ghosted Mm. so easily because you haven't gone into anything. You haven't gotten close. 
right? Because right. it's emojis and, and, and anagrams and all these other things. But um, so it's really designed for, for the dating world. But uh, I'd say three quarters of the book are about self-love, self-compassion and evolving the situation inside of yourself to be the right person. So it's actually good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we're going to do is we're going to go around the country. We're going to talk to small groups and big groups. Um, we're going to break down the book. We're going to break down the mirror work program. We're going to just have a good old fashioned, like revival. I love it. It's a love revival. And it's, it's where people can sit down, be themselves and not feel judged and where they can ask questions and feel like they're actually getting some kind of insight or answer. And um, just to really, and there might be a part of when we're all there over the course of the day where we just sit there and we just hold space and we just talk, right? And we just, we all do like an Indian style on the front. We sit down and we go lotus pose and we just sit there and we're all like, okay, so just share. Who are you? Kind of like an AA, right? Tell me, what's your name? Where are you from? It's just, it's unprecedented because I've been to a lot of workshops and nobody does that. And it's just, it's kind Mm -hmm. of impersonal. So, and then we'll have like the hug line and all that stuff, but it's, and then we're going to have like a, a we're going to do like a Congo line because <laughs> <laughs> the thing that the, there's a couple of things that have to happen. Number one is you're going to have to do like, everybody's going to have to do um, a growl. They have to get their sound. Yeah. Right. That's one thing. I like that. The, the second thing is, is that they're going to have to hum down front. There's going to be African tribal beat music and however they can to the best of their ability, they have to feel the music and let the music move them. This sounds like ecstatic dance. It is. Oh, I love that. So we're all going to move. We're going to get comfortable with our body. We're going to get comfortable with our sound. And then I want people to come up and we're going to play some really uh, very soothing music. And I want people, we're going to switch partners. You're going to sit there and you're just going to stand across from some other person that's a stranger and make eye contact for two minutes. Oh, that's hard. And just sit there and just hold space. And just look at them. And then we're going to, and then when you do that, just, you're going to sit there and you're going to say, you know what? I love you. Whatever's going on. I see it. I feel it. And I hold space for you. And I'm just here to, to hug you and heal you. And this is where, you know, we'll, we'll evolve the conversation and we'll, we'll bring people close together. It's, it's just, it's so much more meaningful when you can feel people. Mm-hmm. I think you'll probably have a lot of people in tears. Yeah, I mean, Probably. no one, no one does that. No one is really heard or listened to on a day-to-day basis. There's never one breakthrough session that I've done, male or female, where they're not in tears. Yeah, that's telling. And I'll tell you, uh, after an hour and a half of sitting there doing a breakthrough session, I can say, yeah, let's let's take a, a, a sample of ten people that I've talked to in the past like two months. All nine people made huge shifts. Wow. Huge shifts. Um, we found, I mean, this, this small little thing that had just been sitting there unnoticed, mm-hmm. like a rock in the shoe. Right. And, but Whether like intentional my, or not, I'm sure. But it um, was there. And well, the thing is, is that we're all programmed to look for something big. Like, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, you're abused or you're beaten up or whatever it was, you know, and we're, we're, we're conditioned to look for that. But even in the course of abuse, um, I was talking to somebody, it's not the actual abuse or the person that abused you that's holding space and creating this havoc in your life. It's literally how you're, you dealt with it at that time mm-hmm. and how you perceived the action for the people around you. 
So imagine if you were abused as a young child and something were to happen and you decided not to tell. Now, what does that set you up for in life? It sets you up for living a life where you feel you need to protect other people and not yourself. Mm. So then you become uh, really dislocated from being there for you. And you tend to be overly there for other people getting abused, used and, and pushed to the side because you're not your constitution of who you are. The structure of not taking anything for granted and not allowing people to push around is gone because you wanted to protect your family. But see, that's the other side of abuse that we don't look at. And it could be something as simple as you went to school. Like I myself, when I was in school, I was short. I was fat. I was voted least likely to ever get a date. And I was voted the shyest in school. I, I literally almost failed high school because of being dyslexic and skipping school. Mm. So I, don't, I only went to one dance and I didn't dance with anybody. And she only asked me to go because she wanted to go meet another guy. And she needed to get there. So I went with a friend of mine and I waited uh, basically outside. So I literally skipped school so I didn't have to get beaten up. Hmm. And all of that knowledge and information that I was carrying, I had to understand. The core of that was I didn't want to hurt someone else. And that came from me protecting someone when I was abused as a child. Mm. See, so I continued protecting someone as I got older. Right. But and it, it can be small things. I mean, it can be something as little as like um, somebody just had like a bad experience uh, choking on something. Right. And then now you have throat issues or people end up getting like throat cancer. Mm. Um, because emotions store energy in the same space where you experience them. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer. That's why the United States is so plagued with um, whether it's cervical cancer or sexual organs, breast cancer and that thing. I think that's one of the shame and blame things that we're dealing with now as a populace. And it's, you know, and so it's very weighty, which is also probably why we also have osteoporosis. Mm. And you'll notice a lot of people that, have issues not being able to speak up for themselves will often have like either lung or throat cancer. And I mean, I fully believe in that and it manifesting in the body in some way. It is. And then again, your body's your congregation, right? Your body's believing you. Right. Absolutely. It's your biggest buyer. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't escape it at the end of the day. You cannot escape it. Like it is, you you have to deal with your, your stuff. But the beauty of the body is, is that it's new every seven years and Every And you have the capability of changing it. You have the capability of switching the body on and off in a particular area. You can move that emotion through you. Mm. And that's why the physicality of yoga, even without the spirituality part of it, is beautiful uh, or Tai Chi or getting involved. That's why you have to do everything across the board. You have to get involved, body, mind, and soul. You can't just be one or the other. Yeah. It's all about balance. It's, it's a complete balance. Anything that's imbalanced is not going to work. Yeah. So I do always have a question um, that I ask at the end of my interviews, and it's kind of a way to sum up the interview and just bring something of value to our listeners. Um, and the question is, you know, what's something that you wish someone would have told you that you've learned on your life path? Um, and, and how do you share that? Hmm. 
something that someone told me. I think I wish somebody would have most of my life I spent feeling as if I was not good enough. And my mom did a spectacular job, but I believe that I just wish someone would have interjected into my life, a male figure in the sense of showing me what was good enough. Um, and that good enough has nothing to do with being better. I don't think that, um, I was able to see a good example of just to be me. So I think just somebody to show me it's okay just to be exactly who you are. Hmm. That would be the, the best, I think. Because I spent my life either hating who I was, trying to be something different, or not understanding it. And my mom did a spectacular job. It was more my father. I think that's the balance part, right? So yeah, a male figure that was able to show me that you're enough and be that all the time. Mm, that's so powerful. I think anyone listening is going to, you know, walk away with, with a better life because of what you just said. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. So how, how can people uh, help find you and find your work? Um, well, uh, I'm on iTunes. I'm spirituality with a spin on YouTube. I'm upbeat Buddha on Instagram. I'm upbeat Buddha on Facebook. I'm just Ryan keys. And then I also have the divine love dash academy.com. Awesome. Well, I'm and really I, looking forward to your, your, uh, trip to Atlanta. I'm going to be at the workshop staring yeah, into a good. stranger's eyes. <laughs> all of my updates will be on RyanKeys.com. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got or it. like all the, all the cool updates with the tour and stuff. And then I will also be starting a new YouTube channel in June, oh. which will be called Transcendental Travelers. I love that. Yeah. So it's going to be on the road revival the whole time. Mm. Like what it's like to be behind the scenes, what it's, what it's about to be like. Because I, I mean, I don't really like being called a guru or something, but it's going to be um, basically you'll get to see me frustrated as well. Living life. <laughs> doing things that are like where I'm like, I can't do it. The real struggle. Right. <laughs> right. The because authentic it's, you. Yeah. It's, it's only good if we're authentic. Absolutely. So this is going to be, what's going to keep me being the person that I need. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah it's it's a little bit of self-motivation. Yeah. Well, it's like when I, cause I, I mean, I do it a lot anyway. Like when I went through the face cancer, I was on Instagram and everything else trying to, mm -hmm. and, and being as raw as possible, but this is just going to be the religion of being raw. Yeah. Which are going to help a lot of people on the way. And then it'll also give people a chance to get involved as well. Cause I'm going to record, uh, even when we're doing some of the things, I'll do some interviews, get people involved with that. So, cause a lot of the things that I'm trying to do as well is to help people to start do, doing what I'm doing. Hmm. Because the world isn't going to heal itself. And the only way we can heal the world is to heal ourselves. But if I help one person to help one person, then it's a hell of a lot better off. Absolutely. So that's what I want to do. I want to, I'm creating more people to help more people. 
I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. I'll so, support in any way I can. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Ryan. It. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. And I will see you in Atlanta. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>